Hi everyone, my name is Martin and this is Beautiful Minds. I have a very special guest today called Tawahu, who will forgive me for my pronunciation. He is a key member of the Coral Gardeners team, a coral reef restoration and conservation program located in the Tahiti French Polynesia. Tawahu, I know you've grown up in and around the ocean. You know the ocean as well as anyone. I can't wait to hear some of your stories, both as a surfer, diver, and now as a well, one of the original members of the uh, Coral Gardens team. Before that, though, please tell us a bit more about yourself and welcome to Beautiful Minds. Hello, everybody. So my name is Romi Tuatawaru. I'm 23, going to turn 24 in March. Born and raised on a little island that we call Moria. It's uh, the sister island of Tahiti, and it's somewhere in French Polynesia and somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. So we grew up in water. So water for us is more than a school. It's like a family. So it's a bit like a family. So it taught us everything in our life, even the respect about all form of life. Amazing, amazing. And how long have you been working with the Coral Gardeners team? It's been, I think, one year and a half. Enjoying it? Yes, a lot. Because I used to study science at school and I had to go five years in France to study something that I already know, like sharks. So I wanted to stay on my island. And uh, one day, Tituan, the founder of Coral Gardeners, came and asked me to help him in this NGO. And now here I am. Amazing. What a story. And yeah, the whole team, is, it seems like quite a big team, but I guess it wasn't like that from the beginning. It's grown over the years. Yes, on six months, six months only. At the beginning, there were two, like Tituan and my little cousin. Then we, I came and we were five, and now from five to 15. Amazing, yeah. I definitely want to talk more about the community that you guys have built on the island, because I think you guys are more than just an NGO now. You are, you do represent a community and, you know, you are there to make a difference. So it is, it is really important that it becomes a generational concept. Um, so yeah, going back a bit more. So you mentioned that the islands taught you a lot growing up and you already knew a lot about what you wanted to study about when you went to France. Yes. What is it that working on a daily basis now, what does that teach you compared to before when you maybe just enjoyed it recreationally? Yeah, at the beginning, we were enjoying the, uh, the ways. It was, we were young. We just wanted to surf, spearfishing, diving. Uh, one day, we, we went surfing and we saw that inside and outside of the barrier reef, everything was white. And it was not, uh, it was not normal for us. Island kids used to grow up with colorful corals, so we decided to be interested about corals, asking questions to all the scientists we know. And every day we have to to do some research. And now we 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 had the lots of very good scientists around the world helping us on the on this part, the science and refrigeration. So yeah. every day you can learn something. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the short time that I've been on different diving trips and surfing trips, I've always learned something that I thought, wow, imagine if I was here the whole year or imagine if I lived or grew up here, I'd know so much more. Um, so yeah, that is amazing. Uh, you mentioned the founder, he came to you and he asked you to join the team. What's his story? How did he start? Oh, um, first of all, his name is Tituan. If you want, he's French originally, but he was born in Ahi. 
Ahe, it's a little atoll in French Polynesia. You only have the reef, you don't have any islands. So it's an atoll called Ahe. It's, yeah, it's A H N E, A H E. So he was born and grew up until the age of three. But over there, they don't have any schools, any pharmacy or hospital. So he had to move on Moria to be able to go to school. So he arrived here on this island at the age of four, uh, three, three, three years old. And uh, when he came here for the first time, he came in our neighborhood. So we were all neighbors. So at the age of three, we started to know each other with my cousin and all the friends. So we, we know each other in the age of three until now. So he's 21, I'm 23. So almost 20 years of, of life together. So he's, a, he's one of my best childhood friends. And he was studying uh, business school in France. At the age of 16, he went over there. And one day he was thinking about the reef. What can he do to, to make things better, to save everything? So he was working on the reef. And one day he was fed up. Uh, he was tired about school. And he called his parents and he said, okay, dad, mom, uh, I, I will leave school. Um, I want to, to start my own project, my own NGO. And his parents told him that, okay, from now on, you're not, not going to have any money from us. Uh, trust you, but you have to do something. Amazing. Little by little, gatherings. So everybody came little by little, my cousin, me, friends. So everybody in this organization, it's my cousins, childhood friends, and now we are a big family. Amazing. I guess things are changing quite rapidly. I've listened to a few podcasts on, um, on the One Ocean uh, on Spotify, and it just talks about how in one year, such a vast amount of change can happen. And then if this happens every year, obviously it'll be hard to keep up with it. Since joining or since the NGO started, uh, have you noticed that the challenge has been magnified? Almost as though, you know, like you've got that phrase at the beginning where it says, um, changing the world one crawl at a time. Is that speed enough? Do you guys need more support still? Or are you, how are you coping with it? We, 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 every day we need support. So mm -hmm. at the beginning we were starting with two people, five, now we are 15. And we were planting like maybe five coral a month. So it was very little. But on six months, we have lots of, of influencers who came and photographers. Yeah. And they were posting things on social media. So everything was coming very fast. We, we didn't, we, we, we thought that it would come like maybe little by little, like always. But six months after, we went on 83,000 followers on Instagram to 600 and almost 600,000 followers. So we were working like we were five and indeed six months after we re we realized that we need we needed people with experience in marketing communication like Mariceline very good very good in her job and many other departments even in refrigeration so now every day since we were rising we need um, more information more people uh, helping us everywhere in the world by giving us maybe tools to 
to evolve or maybe other things? Yeah, I'm a big fan of your content. I've, uh, I've been following it for a while and as an avid scuba diver myself, I can really appreciate the difference that you're trying to make. And I think it is amazing, definitely. If anyone hasn't checked uh, Coral Gardeners out on Instagram, do that ASAP, check out their work. Um, and Tawako, I just want to ask as well. So when it comes to the global impact, do you guys collaborate with other similar NGOs in other parts of the world? We are trying to contact everybody like the Great Barrier Reef, people for the four oceans, and like uh, NGO like Kamagawa in Hawaii. So we try to give information to help each other to, to, to have more information, more data, so we can uh, see the difference between here and everywhere. Because our goal is to expand ourselves, like in other countries, Hawaii, US, Germany, even in England, everywhere. Yeah. So before we go outside, we need to be set up here. So we, every day we are searching for more and more information, techniques, and people who can help us in our NGO. Absolutely, yeah. Corals aren't just exclusive to uh, tropical countries. I actually uh, started diving in the UK, so it's funny you mentioned that um, some of the first corals I ever saw in my life were in the UK in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, yeah, it was a very tough dive, but um, worth memories. Next, next time, try to come dive in Transplanasia, you will see. If you come with us, we will bring you in different spots. Yeah, definitely. Sounds incredible. I'll have to bring my camera. I bet it's beautiful down there. So, Tawahu, I also want to know, what's your favorite experience as a diver growing up and now that you do it more professionally? As a kid, I grew up in water. So, yeah. I started to swim around one year and a half. And uh, I had lots of things. I touched my first whale at 16 years old. Wow. I used to swim with tiger sharks since I was eight. And uh, now for me, it's an everyday thing. So when you go, when we go free diving, we see like stingrays, turtles, sharks, lemon sharks, tiger sharks. So for us, it's normal. But for a tourist or maybe a visitor who comes, he will be amazed about everything. So for us, it's a way of life, like spearfishing, free diving, scuba diving. And uh, that's the part of my childhood. But my best experience is when I was bitten by a mirror eel. Wow. How was that? Yes. How it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, now it's one of my best scars. Uh, my elbow, I went spearfishing like I was 16, so it's been eight years ago. I was in, a, in one of the channels of the, the island. I was in, at two, 22 meters, and, and she came and bite me like this. So my dad always told me that if you have an accident with a mirror eel, you, you have to rip, arm, rip off your arm. So it's what I did and I shot her and I bring her, her to my house. I cooked on the bar barbecue and we nice. used her on the lionfish. We went line fishing. Oh, okay. And we brought two, two white tuna and one swordfish. So it was a very good experience. Let's talk a bit about spear fishing and fishing in general, because I think um, there's almost a strange perception towards these uh, habits in, in that part of the world. I know I went to Cuba once and people do it there and it's a tradition. Um, and then you hear in the media over here in London, for example, where fishing is bad, 
uh, we need to stop killing animals, we need to stop doing this. But what people don't understand is that in some communities, you guys rely on that desperately for food. It's a way of life, as you said. Can you yes. talk a bit more about that? So you have many, you have different kind of techniques about fishing. You have spear fishing with a gun, you have the uh, line fishing, you have deep fishing, and you have many other techniques. So we we use we do spear fishing and line fishing. It's it always been in our life since we were a kid. So if you want fishing with a boat with a big net, that's very bad for the ecosystem because you take everything and of course you have some fish you don't really need it so you, you throw them away when they are dead that's very bad because they're using net and they are destroying corals with it but we use spear gun so you have to take a deep breath dive i don't know how many meters and catch your own food that's our way of life we used to live like this until now so it's bad when you have uh big boat with big nets and we don't care about the species you're taking it's, it's it's and for the local people it's always been like this spear gun or maybe line fishing so it's more sustainable know. yes more sustainable definitely yeah it's what they did in cuba as well and i found it interesting also when you've hunted the animal so you've, you've done the fishing you've got the animal and it's enough for you and maybe a few others to eat around the table and the kind of spiritual connection you have with the animal. I know it sounds pretty deep, but um, you, you kind of almost appreciate it. And you, you know, you're very grateful for the fact that, Oh my God, I've got this opportunity and I've taken a life and yes, I won't waste the meat. I won't waste um, anything. And you appreciate it more. And I think that adds to the experience and makes you realize when you do these mass. So when these boats go around and they, they take all this fish, like you said, they don't discriminate. And then a lot of it goes to waste and a lot of damage happens unnecessarily. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's the same example with the money. You don't want to waste your money. Same thing. When you have a fish, you don't want to waste anything. Mm. Absolutely. No, that's very interesting. I think a lot of people need to learn more about that because, um, you know, the perception in the media is very much, it takes fishing as a category and it says, oh, very bad. But then there's also yeah. ways you can do it in a good way, um, sustainable way, right? Yes, Amazing. exactly. And talk to us a bit about uh, these large predators because I know a lot of people are against um, shark diving. They're against, um, you know, different types of practices where you use bait to attract the shark, right? Um, yes. I know in South Africa, that's a very popular technique and mm -hmm. different parts of Latin America. Can, can you talk a bit more about that? So it's not good because you're water and the sharks or maybe other marine life very lazy so people and they just come to food but it's not very good because they can also be very dangerous if you dive with them you don't know how how they are in water because it's not your environment so when you go in water you have to be very careful because you don't know how sharks are thinking or maybe other marine life yeah so, it's better to leave them uh, in their environment. If you go swimming, if you see a shark, don't panic. Just swim away, and I think everybody, every, everything will be good. Yeah, and the whale. I remember you said you, you know, the one of your best experiences was touching a whale at sixteen, which I've never touched a whale, so 
that for me is like a wow. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people, when you say that you you already touch a whale, they will be very amazed. But I was 16, I was spearfishing, and I saw a whale like maybe five meters away from me. And I said, it's the only chance I have to, to touch a whale from, for the first time in my life. So I went, touched it, and after this, it was beautiful. It was a very fantastic moment. But after this, I, I went back and let her go with her little baby. And until now, when you see whales jumping inside of the lagoon, so in front of our HQ, or maybe when you, have a, when you go on a boat, they are jumping or swimming under you. So it's, I think it will be the best experience you can have if you come to, come to French Polynesia. But now the problem is when you have lots of tourists coming here to see the whales on October, yeah, you have like maybe 13 boats around them. So around them means the mother and her baby. 13 boats. And yeah. one boat have maybe between 30 and 50 people. So it's more than 250 people per day. So that's a lot. So that's Great anxiety, a, yeah. The good thing about tourism, it's, it brings money and people to, to, to raise awareness. Okay? Yeah. But, that, but the bad thing is that they are not aware of the importance of the reef and also about the marine life. So we have two problems. It's also the fault of the local guy. The guy, maybe the local people, they don't take 30 seconds to explain, explain people what you have to do, what you should do, what you should not do. So that's our job to raise awareness even among local people. But the, and the other bad thing is that they, they are not aware. They didn't take like five minutes before they come in French Polynesia to, to go on a computer and watch what they should not do. So that's one of our main goal in Coral Gardeners is to raise awareness everywhere. So when they come here the, on a vacation, like 10 years ago, when I used to be a kid, you can see, we used to see like maybe two boats only with maybe 12 people. Now in 10 years, we are at 13 boats and more than 200 people per day. And that's very sad because you can see the mother and the little baby um, stressing because there's too much people, too much noise, too much boats. Yeah, we often miss out on the whole no noise pollution and yeah, the kind of stress that we can you know, bring bring on the animal especially when you're doing like a half an hour session right and then yes. you're thinking i'm only in there for half an hour but then there's so many waves of people coming in and out uh, on a daily basis in that season so yeah i can understand it's very stressful for the animal um and just just to be clear now back on the coral gardeners project so you guys obviously focus on corals but then you guys have to have a wider scope and the role you play in the marine life in general, right? So for the animals, for the corals, for the tourism industry as well. So how does that all play out? How do you manage all these things simultaneously? So in, in our organization, you had different departments. So I'm the only uh, uh, tour guide and awareness department. Mm -hmm. Then you have other people with the communication and many other things. So my job is to raise awareness during an eco tour or maybe we go into schools we we do conferences everywhere when we can to raise awareness that's our job and we also make people plan their core when they come with me in a tour then you have the communication department so their job is to take a lot of footage like photo video uh story of our team doing their work and post it on the social media because our, the social media now it's our, our 
our our how do you say it's our yeah. power it's our only thing it's the only thing we use now to raise awareness so we do tours awareness and we have the communication department that share everything yeah so because we are aware that reef restoration like plenty corals won't bring life to the reef here and every everywhere in the world but we want to be uh we want we also want to be the best in this in this um concept by repentant corals so one side we for the first goal and the main goal of coral gardeners is raising awareness the second one the the second goal is reef restoration so for the moment every day i'm talking about the reef the importance the story and my story but at the same time we have a team who goes in the water for like almost six hours per day plenty corals even if it if it's raining sunny day storm they everywhere they're in water yeah and and talk to us a bit about the off season so i'm sure there is an off season right so what, what kind of uh planning goes into preparing the reef or protecting it so that it can recover because after all these waves of tourists coming in with their sun cream with their you know maybe even damaging the corals during the eco tours do, do you guys do anything in particular to help speed yes. up recovery we the reef restoration they they go especially when they have the protected marine area uh -huh. because you cannot put a boat inside even an outrigger you cannot uh, throw your anchor use sunscreen so they are going on those spots because it's better if you go anywhere else where where the, the reef is dying and you have other boats coming or the big boats they don't really care so if you plant corals over there like in two weeks they'll they'll be dead because tourists came with their paddle boats so we prefer to 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 go in some areas where you have protected marine life so why? Because tourists, they 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 are gonna read the flyer, and they're gonna they're gonna follow the instructions. So for us, it will be very simple and easier. So they go over there, they they do their job, and of course, when you come in one month, everything will be still here. So it's easier for everybody. But now we are trying to see with the local government if they if you can have permissions to to restore all the rest of the island because it's very complicated to have permissions. Talk to us a bit about the actual farming or the harvestation of the corals. So how long does it take to plant a coral seed uh, for it to grow, be ready, and then put into or replanted into the, the actual reef? So um, now we are working with a new concept, which is cementing corals. So we use cement to glue them to the reef. So the first step, every morning you have to go in water, collect some broken pieces of coral, uh, mostly broken by human pressure, like yeah. um, global warming, fence, anchors, boards. And also about, uh, from bad weather. So you have big waves, strong currents. Of course, you have some uh, corals who will be broken from the waves. So we collect only the colorful ones. If it's white, gray, or black, it's dead. You cannot do anything. I see. So you, only, you only have to collect like purple, pink, yellow, blue. And you have to do a little 
like a putty of cement and you take the little fragment and you choose a dead a dead bummies so you it's a dead coral but in english you call this the bummies but we call them potatoes because they are all big and yellow it looks like potatoes <laughs> okay so you we we choose a little spot on the this dead bummies and we just put some bit of cement put it put the little coral on it and after like two two or three weeks after he will grow by himself i see yeah because if you want the corals they are very stressed because of all they are broken and if they lay too long too 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 long on the sand they will be recovered and they will die they won't be able to do the photosynthesis so we need to pick up very quickly the colorful ones and glue them to the uh, to the corals so we say that we give a second chance to, to the baby corals and a new life to the dead potato, to the bummy. Yeah. And that's very symbolic, right? Because obviously what we're trying to do is build corals that are even more resistant to human pressures um, than before. Yes, because in different area, you have different, we all have the same species in different area. But the quality of the water is not the same everywhere. So you have mm. resistant ones still living. So, for example, in, in front of our HQ, we have like maybe four or five species. So we we broken corals only in this area, glue them in the same area. You don't break them in other places because the water is not the same temperature. It's not the same quality, too much mud or maybe too clear. So corals, they are very complicated. But when you see them growing, you have hope because like when we, lots of people, they think that, okay corals are dying and you cannot do anything but when you plant your own baby coral just plant one and come one month after and you will see that he grows alone and he's very healthy you will see you will change your mind and you you will like to have up like 300 maybe 400 sometimes amazing yeah that is amazing no i hope obviously that you guys discover even more things um i know i'm constantly learning watching blue planet i'm sure you guys have heard of uh our main man in the UK, Sir David Attenborough. <laughs> he does his best <laughs> to spread the messages. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully I, we get to see you guys on the BBC and to amplify the message even more, not just on social media, um, to have Thank that wider good. impact. So the only good thing to... Only, the first, one of the... If you have goals for this year, you have to put you on your bucket list. It's to come with Coral Gardeners, leave the experience, and you will see. Absolutely, yeah. No, definitely. It's definitely going on the list. Um, I've got a trip to Brazil planned, so I've got to see what the damage is over there and let you guys know as well so you can uh, scope out some more coral gardens to plant. Um, absolutely. You know, French Polynesia has been somewhere that I haven't really looked into until I started following you guys about two years ago now. Or, um, and yeah, did you saw a big difference on the social media about the photo, video, and our content? Maybe our yeah. And that's actually going to be one of my next questions because I know you mentioned as well that you work with a lot of influencers. Um, and when I had a look as the months went on, some of the content was different. I don't know how to explain it. You know, like everyone has their own way of, of portraying the message. Um, for example, I remember there was one of a shark and it was a very scary picture, but then the caption went into more detail than it normally does. And I thought, oh, this is a different approach. So you can already tell from the consumer or the audience's eyes that things are kind of changing 
in your side, the office, the kind of talent you're recruiting, the people you're working with, uh, what kind of influence, do you have like a criteria basically of the kind of influences that you bring on? Uh, not, maybe to my, from my opinion, I don't really know because at the beginning we were uh, going, maybe we were looking at like National Geographic or to have, Maybe to have like sustainable uh, influencers like Christina, uh, Christina that works in National Geographic. You have Kamagawa working with Netflix. Yeah, we were looking for this kind of people. But six months after, like last year, everybody was calling us like just like this. We didn't send any message, any videos. We were just posting our things on the social media. And like, if you post a media uh, video, like two weeks after, you have a message from like maybe Alexis Ren, um, Jack Morris, which is actor and a very good actor also, mm -hmm. and many other people. So now they are calling us. They want to help us and join the movement. So for us, if it's a very good thing, why? Because it's they have lots of people following them. Like Alexis Ren, she has almost 14 minions. She's a yeah. very good example because she's 20 years old. She's a top model and she wants to change her, her not mindset, but her way to leave. So she came here, here with us for one week and uh, she, we, were, we were shooting some content from, with her. And one day we decided to post a video of one minute of her with Koro Gatherers on Instagram. And four days, four days after we went on from 83,000 followers to almost 600,000. And we had like 16 millions of views. And now we are, we are more than, more than 50,000 50, of sh sharing. So they are very good tools to work with to raise awareness. Yeah, I think to anyone listening who doesn't maybe know so much about social media, these are incredible KPIs. Um, yeah. To go from 83 to just over half a million. I mean, that is uh, any company's dream, uh, you know, uh, especially given that you guys are an NGO, uh, a very small team in the French Polynesia with Wi-Fi challenges, let's say, um, yeah. to have all these people, all these inbound leads. Let's highlight that as well. These are all inbound leads that you're describing. People coming and approaching you saying, hey, I love what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. How can I help? I think that is truly amazing. And um, again, that's what every company uh, wants. That's the, that's the position they want to be in. Um, yes. And even, uh, I forgot the chap's name. It was Harry. Um, I saw his picture the other day and I was thinking, oh, he hasn't got many followers. Oh, it's Harry Lee. Harry Lee, Harry. that's it. And I was thinking, uh, and you guys are even helping some of these uh, emerging artists or emerging photographers uh, elevate their platforms you know so it's yeah. like you guys appreciate where you were, were were once and now you know you're also helping others so i think there's definitely a, a multi-plot story to be told there it's, it's really amazing because here in french polynesia when you come here and you live with us you'll be part of the family so everything is about if you need the help help each other so same thing for Harry Lee that comes from the UK uh, or maybe um, our photographer um, Ryan Bourne from French Caribbean 
Mm -hmm. The one who made the, the video of Alexis Ren. And see, he made a video of one minute and more than 16 millions of people were watching on four days. So it's going viral. So it's good for us. But we, we try to raise also his community on Instagram, maybe in his personal life and in everything. Talk to us a bit more about the projects that you guys have planned. Um, any long films, short documentaries, key so, collaborations in the pipeline? So we have lots of like photographer coming around the world and uh, influencers coming in this year, but I don't know who. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't know anything about communication and influencers. So I'm, I'm just the one who's bringing tourists in the water, pandemic, corona and everything. But this year will be a big year because we have big goals. We want to expand ourselves. And I think their goal is to, 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 to reach all the, um, like all the other NGOs and continue our job in raising awareness because it's the only thing we can do. Yeah. Cross collaboration. Yeah. Yes. Big co collaboration. If you can have big companies, like maybe, it's just an example like Rolex or maybe other, other company. It would be great because it's always something. But the only thing we can do is raise awareness and plant goals. Where do you draw the line as, a, as an NGO? And I'm not sure if you're the best person to ask or if you're even allowed to speak on behalf of the whole NGO. But if a company has got a large carbon footprint, if a company is somehow almost contributing to these negative changes and then somehow you would also like maybe their help or support in one way or another to amplify your brand and your message so that more people can um like you said i think i'm not the good person to yeah. ask this question maybe marisin will be able to answer you or maybe the founder yeah. but uh or as a local okay let me ask you as a local to the area um where do you stand on that, you know, on that topic? Uh, to be honest, um, we, we, we are, we only partners with companies that watch our values. So yeah, they want to be sustainable. If you, they want to be a very good example for the environment, we, we are willing and we really want to help them rise and keep going but for me for, for a local people for a local guy i just want to live on my island save my reef and be an example for all the kids and even other people in the world so at the beginning i was just a uh, fisherman and doing lots of sport a lot but now i, I stopped everything even my old job my my sport to 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 work here from monday to saturday so it's six days yeah and now it's it's worse because I have a little girl. She's six months now. Wow! Congrats. Thank you very much. It's a blonde with blue eyes. So now it's worse. Why? Because I really want her to see what I saw when I was a kid. To eat all the fish that I ate, and I, I want her to enjoy the reef as I did. So now I'm 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 working here every day, every night, and to to save the reef so she will be able to. To, to enjoy everything that I, that I had in my life. That's super and powerful. And not only for her, for everybody in the world, other kids. 
I want all the kids from Africa to know what what's a, what is a coral to touch to eat a fish. I want every other kids in the world to see and to enjoy what I had in my life. But now for this, we have to work every day, every night, like twenty four hours. Yeah, it's a hard job, man. Absolutely, yeah. Nothing comes easy. Otherwise, everyone would do it. Uh, but that's super powerful, man. Especially with the whole generational approach and uh, creating that same positive environment for them to cherish i think i think that is super powerful and i hope more people hear this message and um, act on it really the um the only thing i'd add to that is that i remember when i got my advanced uh, diving license a few years ago um yeah time flies <laughs> but i remember we kind of joked on the way back to the uh to the hostel and we were saying how our kids probably, you know, one day they might even swim in a reef that's made out of 3D printed corals. You know, we're just yes. kind of joking. But now as the years have gone by, it's becoming a, you know, some, something Very, that become reality. And you're thinking, Jesus, what's, where do you draw the line here? This is really serious. And um, I think we are as a community, global community, trying to shift towards something more positive. But I think, you know, offsetting that damage is, is one challenge and then preventing, you know, everyone from repeating it is a separate challenge. So you're kind of trying to deal with a double-headed monster, which is very difficult. Because um, when you're a kid, you just, you just go swim, you go like scuba yeah. diving. And you can, we, we as a island kids, we saw the difference on our island. We, we used to see colorful corals in different area. Now when you go spear fishing or free dive or maybe scuba diving, you have no life, no fish, no corals, nothing. Everything is dead. Everything changed 10 years ago. So only in 10 years. So it's a shame. It's, it's worse for my parents and grandparents because 30 years ago, everything was colorful everywhere. But now since I was a kid, like half, maybe less, maybe 40 or 50% of this island about the Barry Reef, everything is dead. So we saw a big change on our island. So we started to see in other countries like the Great Barrier Reef, New Caledonia and other places. And we saw that it's, it's been a, it's, it's a global issue. So corals are dying everywhere. So we decided to act on our island first and now we, we, we have lots of followers, lots of channels following us, like Discovery Channels, French Television, New Zealand, Australian. So now we, we just want to move forward and do more and more to preserve Absolutely. it. And if you can, save it. Because Absolutely. Scientists estimate that we're going to lose our reef in the world in 2050. So it's yeah. less than years. Yeah, I read that. It's scary. Um, so everybody, everybody knows that everybody saw the, the, the difference. So now can you imagine this planet without the reefs in, in 30 years? Yes. So it will be very scary. So no reef, no ocean, no air. So no food, no fish. And you won't be able to see, able to see whales, dolphins, sharks, fish, turtles, even your kids and every kids in the world. Yeah. Super scary. Um, and Again, it's very repetitive. I mean, we see this on land, not just on water, uh, the kind of damage that we're doing as, a, as humans, right? Um, but again, it takes one coral at a time, as you said, 
as as the founder said um it's it's one coral at a time and hopefully with more people coming on board and contributing towards it things can be reversed so yeah just fingers crossed i um I like to wrap up uh, these podcasts with a few questions. So I'm going to start with the first one. What's something that you do on a daily basis that is a non-negotiable? Oh, man. I have seven licenses in different sport. Okay. So sport for me, it's everything because uh, I start wrestling at the age of three. I was doing some competition of boxing at the age of four, uh, at eight. So sport for me, it's everything. Free spearfishing, free diving, and any kind of sport. But you have other things like music, like guitar and piano, or maybe jambi. It's um, percussion music. And mm -hmm. yeah, enjoying the sun, have sunburn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, plenty of aloe vera after. <laughs> I know them too well. <laughs> Uh, some time when it's when it gets too risky, but here in French Polynesia, Haitian people don't really use sunscreen or aloe. They get burned, and that's all. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um. Okay. Next question. So, if you had to choose between going back in time or forward, which one would it be, and which periods of time would it be, and why? I would like to go back at my grandparents' time. Why? Because their life at this time was very very simple. Okay. And the reef were like colorful, was healthy. So if I can go back 30 years ago and with my brothers and sisters here and Tituan, my cousins and friends, bring them back at 30 years ago and be able to do uh, coral gatherings 30 years ago, it will be great. Yeah, and the reason I asked is I thought you might want to go in the future and see if the corals still exist. But okay, yes, that's interesting. Because like years ago, everything was colorful. If you bring coral gardeners 30 years before, so imagine the future after this. It will be insane. Yeah. Now, in the future now, you're not sure if the coral will survive. Or if, you, if we can save the reef, it will be great. If not, so we tried to do something, but it's not sure. So we do yeah. our best to, to, save it, to save it. What keeps you awake at night? Wake at night, my little girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my little girl with her blue eyes. It's blue like the ocean. For when I see, when I go back home and I see her, I see hope. Because um, it's very difficult to explain. If you, if you are born on this island, you, you can see all the, the things, all the, everything, all the things we, uh, that happen. But now when you have a kid, not, you don't think about yourself. You think about her and your little family. And now, if I, when I, now I'm working on in coral gardens to save the reef. I want to save the reef for me and for her and for her children and all the future generation. So that's what keeps me up at night. Amazing. Very powerful. And what's the happiest day of your life? I have a feeling it's going to be your daughter, but just in case. <laughs> uh, so when I first caught my fish, okay, to see all the smile on here on coral gardeners because what they do, it's not you don't have anything else more powerful about this because when you arrive here at eight a.m., some people in the world they don't really enjoy what they do like behind the office or other things, but when you arrive here at eight a.m. 
you, you see smiles on everybody, everybody's faces. Oh man, you want to work until 3 p.m., 3 p.m., 3 a.m. Don't care about time. You just want to work. So, uh, the happiest day of my life is when I joined Coral Gardeners because I have all my friends, all my family supporting us and see all the nationality in the world. So everybody in the world coming here because at the beginning we, we were... We had only you, uh, American people and English. Now we have every people in the world. Amazing. South Africa, Pakistan, everywhere. So that that makes me happy now. Incredible. No, that that definitely uh, makes me want to come and visit because um, I don't love anything more than a nice group of international people. That's amazing. So man, so we we on we are on February. So the best time if you want to get ten, it's on March. So if you come on March in French Polynesia, you have sun. You have yeah. you can free dive and you will see. Okay. Don't no wait long. Take your ticket and come. Okay, I'll book it next March. Deal. <laughs> Deal. Um, last question. Well, one of the last questions. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for those 15, 16 year old um, Tawukos who want to have that impact, but maybe they don't live on the French Polynesia, they might live in New York City, they might live in New Delhi, or they might live in, um, in Moscow. What's the biggest piece of advice to them? Um, biggest advice. Open your eyes. If you, if you, you ha go on TV or social media, see what is happening in the world and act. Be, be part of the solution. Maybe not in corals, but if you want to reduce, do like less plastic bags or uh, sunscreen, uh, if you want to develop other things, act now because in 30 years it will be too late. So I really, I, I, we really have hope on future generation because Inter internet is evolving it's getting faster and social media is it's our it's a very good tool to to work on so everybody has their phone everybody has a laptop uh, has television so if you can do research and if you find your way in maybe one ngo maybe other things very sustainable it will be great amazing yeah it's very good advice because even if you don't grow up on an island with reef, if you if you you you're born in like New York or UK, it's not because you didn't see a core of, of your life. You don't. You cannot do anything. It's wrong. Yeah. The good example if it's coral gathering. We were starting like with local guys, local tourists. Now we have everybody in the world. So take everything possible. Everything yes. possible. Exactly. Amazing message. So, Tawako, I want to finish off now with some word associations. So, I'm going to say some words. Well, I'm going to say one word, and then you'll say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. Yeah? Great. So, first word, ocean. Life. Community. People. Fishing. Food. Family. Love. Technology. Uh, I don't know. Social media? 
Okay. Great. No, that's good. Awareness, social media, everything's inside. Yeah. I think a lot of people see technology as an enabler to solve a lot of problems, especially related to uh, man-made problems. So it was interesting to see if you would associate that word with anything to do with solutions or future hope. But social media makes sense. Perfect. Wow. But to be honest with you, for me, so, uh, internet was very hard to to work with because my cousin and I and our friends, we used to live in water, like fishing at the age of five. We used to climb trees to get our mango or things. So we used to eat our mango and fish next to the road in the water. And we used to live in the jungle. So it was a simple life. But when in came, it was very hard for us because everything changed. Now you see other kids walking on the street, waiting a bus or at school with their eyes on the screen. Everything is on the screen. So for us at the beginning, it was very hard because we, we used to go everywhere. We, don't have, we, we didn't have any phone until the age of 18. Can you imagine 18 years old, your first phone? I mean... I'm 26 and I got my first phone when I was 14 and I remember that was really late. Everyone in my school had phones before that. So yeah, I mean, 18 is very, yeah. So it was hard for us because we, we wanted to buy a phone to call our friends, our parents. Now everybody wants phone because of the good quality of the, the photo, video, social media. So everybody is inside their phone. It's a very good tool to work with to raise awareness and have information about the world, like all the problems, all the good things. But for the island kids, at the beginning, it's hard. Yeah, I can imagine, definitely. Especially when you're surrounded by so much beauty and nature and then a phone comes along and just distracts you from all that, it's, it's a bit of a waste. But as I said, it can be an enabler as well, so it depends who's, yes. who's asking, who's using it. Um, I want to talk a bit about free diving just before we finish off because uh, we haven't talked about that and it's a topic which interests me a lot personally. I'm not sure about those listening, but I know it's a mental battle and I know it's something which most people can do, but a lot, a lot of people are scared of doing it. What's your experience with it? It's a very dangerous sport because you can die even under like, three inch of water see yeah you can go at more than 300 feet like uh we have a local ambassador of coral gardeners living in my in the same neighborhood and he's one of the french champion in french Polynesia about free diving wow so free diving it's without weight belt and fins so you only have your mask and wetsuit and he he went at 95 meters so more than 300 feet minutes on the water so you have to practice pra practice all your life since you're a kid because to spend seven minutes on the water you have to be free clear in your mind you have to think about nothing you have to be like like a bird in the water you have to be calm because if you go above like 25 meters or maybe 30 meters it's getting risky do you believe it's a state of mind that you can learn just to empty it and free yourself and just 
focus on absolutely nothing is what yes, you just described there yeah when you go in water swimming you feel very good because the water is fresh no cars nobody only you in water so you feel good so can you imagine this feeling at more than 30 30 meters it's 10 times better it's you cannot imagine so even even for you if you didn't dive yet if you come one day we will teach you and you will see i think it will be one of your favorite hobbies or maybe your favorite sport it's definitely something that i've always wanted to experiment with and i know in the philippines i i tried it and i was okay but i remember thinking it's a state of mind it's not really a skill about swimming you know it's more like what you described very perfectly you need to empty your mind you need to just focus on nothing which is like if you live in london and you're used to that pace of life it's like impossible you're thinking how do i focus on nothing you know but yeah. i think it's something which is useful when you bring back onto the land on your in your everyday life just focusing on nothing and seeing how much further you can go right it's quite it's, symbolic you will see yeah. if you free dive you're you're very calm so it will be the same thing when you go back on the land other stress you're living in the water when you go back outside on the land you will see you're calm calm as ever so the first step starts on the land you have to do yoga to meditate like if you have to take like maybe three hours per day do it because it's very hard yes if you go in the water you just have to uh like watch a uh, stingray or a shark it's enough to disturb everything absolutely yeah a <laughs> shark coming yeah. yeah amazing so you just have to keep your mind and go for it but the 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 the, the gold how do you say golden rule the golden rule it's not it's um you don't go above your limits if you're not sure to go back at the surface don't go just where you are and slowly go back don't go further amazing yeah no definitely yeah you have to know your limits but then somehow build on that and improve and improve just like your friend did i mean to go down to that that depth is is unbelievable incredible definitely well talk with th- thank you so much for your time um well, hopefully didn't distract you too much from your from your project well, today but, thank you um, very much for your patience. No, absolutely. No, and it definitely, um, well, we said March, right? So we're on for March and um, right. looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. We'll bring our cameras. We'll try and do it in person this time, face to face. Yes. And just, share everyone. Just come on, on April 2 and I'll bring you wherever you want. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's really thank amazing. You. And likewise, if you're in London, anyone in the team, give us a shout. Uh, we'll happily give you a tour of um, our nice river and uh, Thank you very, much. very clean it's one city. Of my podcasts <laughs> to come to London. Yeah, have you been? Uh, no, no, not. Uh, oh, no. Okay. I just want to go and visit because we. I, I see a lot of movie like um, London has fallen and those kind of movie. I just want to visit other monuments and see what's in London. Tawako, you're definitely more than welcome in London. And um, I definitely recommend summer. Otherwise, you might not enjoy it as much. <laughs> I love, don't worry, I love cold, huh? Yeah? Do you like wind and rain? Rain and rain. Yeah? Okay. It will be better. 
Okay, we'll make it rain. There's definitely going to be plenty of rain. There's actually a storm coming this week, so I'm hoping it doesn't affect Ooh. my flight to Brazil. So, so I wish you all the best and Thanks. be careful. Thanks, Tawaku. Thank you and thank the team as well. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye.